In the movie Polar Express, a young boy struggles with his belief in Santa Claus. He and other children are taken by the train, the Polar Express, to the North Pole. And at one point in the movie, the conductor takes out his whole and instead of just a single punch to each ticket, he clicks it numerous times. And you see the little um, pieces of paper flying away. And, and he clicks it into the shape of a word. And for one of the girls, he goes And then you see the, pic the ticket, and it says, leader. And then for the boy who's the main one in the, in the movie, he goes And then you see the ticket, and it says, believe. Belief is very important for many people around our world. Belief is very important for many Christians. Belief is important for many of us. In Acts chapter 16, a jailer's jail has just been blown open and none of the parishioners have left. I mean, the parishioners. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Prisoners. <laughs> I'm hoping we won't have an explosion in here. <laughs> Okay, so none of the prisoners have left, including Paul and Silas, who were in the deepest, darkest part of the prison. They haven't left, even though they can. Their chains are gone. And the jailer calls for lights, and he rushes in, and he falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brings them outside, he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their answer is, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And another time, Paul writes to the Roman church, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Many Christians around our world have, a part of, have as a part of their worship a creed. And the Latin word for creed, for I believe, is credo, C-R-E-D-O, where we get the word, from which we get the word creed. So the creed begins, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe. Beliefs are important. They define who we are, and they often define what we The Jesus encounter today, sorry, Jesus encounter today reminds us that there is more to life than simply believing good and even important things. An expert in the law of Moses comes to Jesus to test him, we're told, and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Not what must I believe, but what must I do to in inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him to answer his own question. What does the law say? He adapts verses from Deuteronomy when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So here, 
according to what this man is saying, it sounds like it matters not what we believe if we're planning for long-term care or eternal life. It matters what we do. And that's opposite from what a lot of us were taught as children, that we had to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior before we could do something like accepting him into our hearts and then going forward to be baptized or even being confirmed if you were brought up in a different denomination. Um, it's about belief. Jesus says to the lawyer, nothing about belief. He says, do this and you will live. Love is action. Dave Simmons, a former NFL linebacker, wrote a series of books about fatherhood. And one of his books called Dad, the Family Coach, written in the early 90s, he tells the story about the time he took his two kids, Helen and Brandon, who were eight and five, to the Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg to do a little shopping. And as they drove up, they saw this huge, Peter built 18-wheeler outside the mall and it said petting zoo. And the kids, they got, kids got out and jumped up in a rush and asked, Daddy, Daddy, can we go please, please, can we go? And he flipped them each a quarter before walking into Sears and said, sure. And so they bolted away and the dad felt free to take his time looking for a squirrel saw. Now, this petting zoo consisted of a portable fence erected in the mall with about six inches of sawdust and a hundred little furry baby animals of all kinds. Kids pay their money and stay in the enclosure enraptured with the squirmy little critters while their moms and dads shop. Well, the dad turned around a few minutes later and he saw his eight-year-old daughter walking along behind him. And he was shocked to see her because she was the one who preferred, who just loved animals. And so did she all of a sudden prefer the hardware department? Well, he bent down and he asked her what was wrong. And she looked up at him with her beautiful brown eyes and said sadly, well, daddy, it cost 50 cents. So I gave Brandon my quarter. And then Simmons said, she said the most beautiful thing I had ever heard. She repeated the family motto, which is love is action. She had given Brandon her quarter and no one loves cuddly furry creatures more than Helen. She had watched his wife, well, she had watched another example that he'd given in the book and, and his wife had said to him, love is action as she gave him the steak that he wanted. She had watched, the child had watched both of them do and say love is action for years around their home. And she had heard and seen love is action and now she had incorporated it into her own lifestyle. It had become a part of who she was. So what do you think the dad did? Well, they walked around for a little while longer so the dad could finish his errands and then he took Helen back to the petting zoo. And they stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy petting and feeding the animals. And Helen stood with her hands and chin resting on the fence and just watching Brandon. And Dave Simmons says he had 50 cents burning a hole in his pocket. 
but he never offered it to Helen and she never asked for it because she knew that there's one extra word in the family motto. It's not just love is action, but love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you. It's not for me. Love gives. It doesn't grab. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with her lesson. She knew she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to fully experience that whole family motto, love is sacrificial action. The man who knew the Mosaic law so well wanted to justify himself and asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you ever find people who want to limit the scope of the people they can be involved with or help? They want us to say, your neighbors are only the people who live in the next apartment or the next house. And then we can say, oh, well, I can handle those two. I can take care of them. Or they want us to say, your neighbor is the person who has the same skin tint as you. Or on a different scale, your neighbors are the people who are on your socioeconomic level. These are the only ones you are required to love as you love yourself, says the law. Well, that would be convenient, wouldn't it? But it's not what Jesus says. Jesus replies with the story of this Samaritan. And he uses an area that people know. Jerusalem sits on a hill. So anywhere you go from Jerusalem, you're going to go down. So a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to, Jamer to Jericho, and he falls into the hands of robbers. It's not an easy or safe route. Nobody, I mean, everybody knew that at the time. Probably weren't supposed to be walking down that road by yourself anyway, but Jesus' early listeners would not have been all that surprised to hear that the man on the road to Jericho fell into the hand of robbers, therefore, and they stripped him and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And they might not also have been that surprised to hear that two religious people crossed the road to avoid the half-dead man. But the third thing in the story is the shocker. They would have been shocked when Jesus said, but a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. A Samaritan moved with pity? Now Jesus is speaking to Jewish listeners, and so they are the ones who are imagining themselves, perhaps, as the half-dead person on the side of the road. And perhaps wondered too, I'm not sure I'd rather have a Samaritan help me or just rather die on the side of the road. It was that bad. They, I mean, they hated the Samaritans. It was the Hatfields and the McCoys in a way, a feud that began centuries earlier based on intertribal marriages and where and how to worship. A Samaritan. 
distasteful, Jesus. But Jesus continues, knowing the thoughts that are in their mind, I believe, describing the Samaritan's sacrifices for the half-dead Jew. It becomes obvious that Jesus is calling them to show mercy to people they don't like, to show kindness to people they see in the grocery store when they would really rather turn around and go down another aisle. Did the Samaritan have a halo already? Do you think he was excited about helping this man? Do you think he said, oh, there's a half-dead man on the side of the road. It's somebody I get to help. Ooh. You think? You think about what, what he probably had to do. He probably had to rip off a part of his cloak to clean and bandage the wounds. He had to pour out some of his own precious oil and wine on them to cleanse them. If, since he had some sort of beast with him, maybe a donkey, that he was riding, well, he wasn't going to be riding it anymore because this half-dead man was going to be laying on that beast. He takes him to a hotel room. He takes care of them, him overnight in that hotel room. He leaves money for someone else to care for the stranger in his absence. And then he plans to return and pay off the rest no matter the cost no matter the cost. Really, Jesus? We don't like hearing that that's the way God wants us to love people. It's, it wouldn't be so bad if like, they were our family members and we wanted to do, because we want to take care of our family members, but a stranger on the side of the road, couldn't we be endangering ourselves? Isn't that a big risk to just come up to somebody and start taking care of them? I mean, what, what if they gain enough strength that they start fighting back and rob me instead? Love is sacrificial action. Well, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us as a church? It means we can't sit on our thin pew cushions or our thick cushioned throne and let others do the sacrificial work for us. Now, don't hear me saying that worship is not important. Worship is all important for who we are. It brings us together as a community. It fills us with God's presence and God's love. It strengthens us to know that there are others around us who are on the same journey that we are. Worshiping inside this building, this beautiful building, is worthwhile. But if we really want to show mercy, as Jesus calls us to do, if we really want to grow as a congregation, if we really want to be the body of Christ, we can't stay in this beautiful room. And that's true for us if we're wherever we are. If we're in our home and we're not getting out, or if we're in our office and not getting out. I find difficulty with that myself, that there always seems to be things to do in the office, and so it's hard to get out and do things and be where I should be, which is with other people. But we want to be available 
for the people who say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. We have plenty of neighbors. Our neighbors are the Nepali congregation that's been meeting here on Sunday nights the last three weeks. We don't even have to go out of our building to meet them. They come right here to us and ask for little except our presence on a Sunday evening. Our neighbors are the children at the Baptist Friendship House who have discipline problems because they've been raised in a culture different from ours. Our neighbors are the men and women who stand outside Samaritan Inn waiting for lunch, men and women who have jail time behind them, who are crashing on someone else's sofa because they have nowhere else to sleep, men and women who carry all their possessions in one duffel bag. These are our neighbors. And the question for us is, are we letting them lie on the side of the road, half spiritually dead, in the darkness of their shame or their grief or their embarrassment or their confusion? Are we hiding the light on this hill? The story of the Good Samaritan makes me feel shame for all that I don't do. And maybe you feel that way too. My tendency, my, my comfort level is to just cross over to that other side of the road. I've got a schedule to keep or I've got a budget to keep or I have other people depending on me. You ever feel that way? It's too risky. There's too much sacrifice involved. I don't have enough within me to be able to do that. To miss, I just can't. And yet there they are, half dead and right in our path. If we think about it, one gift we have is each other to share the sacrifice. When we share the sacrifice, the burden becomes not only lighter, it can be downright inspiring. As when more than a dozen adults from our church helped lead the music camp and vacation Bible school this year. As when we offered a winter cleaning at the Baptist Friendship House, and as we prepared and served soup and sandwiches earlier this year to the dozens of people at Samaritan Inn. There's more we can do. I'm proposing suggestions that may shock you as much as Jesus' story about the Samaritan helping out the half-dead Jew. Walk across the aisle and introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Not right now. <laughs> Sign up with someone you don't know well to attend to the Nepali congregation on a Sunday night. Eat dinner together in the dining room while the congregation is singing their upbeat songs of worship in the chapel. Brainstorm ways that you or we can together reach out to our neighbors. Sometimes when I'm jogging at the track, I find that my eyes are cast downward, staring at the lane I'm in, making sure I don't move too far to the right or to the left. And when I raise my eyes from the asphalt, I see walnut trees and pine trees and obnoxious but colorful paradise trees. I see a bluebird flying from the fence to the rooftop of the shed. I see a deer grazing. I see beautiful cloud formations. I see contrails going across the sky. You know, our tendency is to stay in our lanes, to stay in our ruts. And that's what the priest did. That's what the Levite did. 
And Jesus calls us to be and do more. The first phrase of our church's identity statement is love God. Loving God means loving our neighbors as ourselves. So do you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? What do you believe about eternal life? Do you believe it begins when you die? Or do you believe it's already begun? I believe we need each other to fulfill God's commands. And more importantly, we can't do it without God's help and strength and courage. Love is sacrificial action. Won't you be my neighbor? Let's pray. Lord our God, you challenge us so much sometimes. This is a beautiful story, a story of a man coming alongside and helping others, helping another person he didn't even know, a story of sacrifice, a story of action, a story of forgetting about the risks and moving forward anyway. Lord our God, we are thankful for this challenge because too often we know that we get stuck and we get scared and we don't know what to do and so we do nothing. We pray that when that happens, we might remember the Samaritan and his sacrificial action and that that would inspire us to do the same to give and to love sacrificially. Lord, we thank you for all of the good that this church has done throughout its years. We don't want to belittle what has been done in the past, and yet we believe that you call us to more, more doing, more loving, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Help us to balance that well with our connections with you, with Jesus, and with each other. We are grateful for these connections, O oh God, and for the possibilities that lie before us. We're thankful for inspiration and motivation and for people who will lead us to do good things in your name. We pray for those people who are half dead or wholly spiritually dead, who are in need of our sacrifice of time or energy or a smile or a hand up. Thank you, God, for all that you have given us that we can now share with others. We pray for our community and pray that your Holy Spirit would blanket this area with your love and ours. 
We pray that you would help us show our love to each other as well by praying for each other, by encouraging each other, offering strength and love and hope to each other. We pray for Candace Brogdon as she continues to go through her chemotherapy. We pray for Linda Dwyer as she continues to deal with her health challenges. We pray also for Susan Snyder and Lynn White. And also we thank you and pray for Evangeline Grace Bryant. We ask your blessing upon her and all of her family as they find themselves together, becoming one, becoming a place where they can serve and love each other. We pray, O oh God, that this congregation would be a place where there, those children and others can learn to love and serve you well. We pray for peace around our world. We pray for the missionaries who are serving everywhere, that you would inspire them as well. Help them to feel your love and ours, and help them to be able to love others too. Lord, we ask for your guidance as we seek you and as we seek to follow Jesus Christ, the one who saves us, the one who loves us, and the one who guides us every day closer to you. Amen.